Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we'll be finishing up chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 17. So, tonight's text, um, I feel a little bit awkward about. Um, the, uh, we've seen in the book of 1 Timothy a lot of talking about pastors, the duties of pastors, um, the qualifications for pastors. Um, and and this, is, this is right along the same vein as this. Well, tonight, the text, the, the first verse that we're going to be looking at in this text, the first two verses are telling us, pay the pastor. <laughs> that's, that's one of the big points from this text. And, and I don't, I, th- I feel like it's awkward because so often we see in TV preachers and, and other, other places, we see this example of, of uh, the preacher on the TV saying, send me your money, right? Send me your money and God's going to bless you, which I think is a bunch of hogwash, okay? I don't want to be guilty of something like that. I'm not in it for the money. If I was, I wouldn't be here, okay? (laughs) Okay? But uh, what Paul is getting across to Timothy... um, I think he's talking here, not just those first couple of verses, but throughout the text that we're looking at tonight, he's talking about both the responsibility, the weight and responsibility, as well as the reward of being a pastor. So let's go ahead and take a look at our, our, uh, our passage. Beginning in verse 17, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest might stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudicing, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to the judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we, we thank You. You have revealed to us how it is that we should conduct ourselves as churches. 
Well, you haven't given us a manual that lays out everything. You've given us many principles that we should understand from your word, how to organize a church. Father, help us to be faithful in what we do here at Redeemer. Help us, Lord, to to do things biblically. And Father, send forth laborers into your harvest field. Father, we love you. Pray that you give me strength and grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, we'd already seen how Timothy had been told by Paul with qualifications for pastors. And the term that was used in chapter 3, um, in chapter 3 it says, This is a trustworthy saying, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he, desire, he desires a noble task. That term there used at the beginning is overseer. Overseer, And one of, the, one of the qualifications for an overseer is he has to be apt to teach, has to be able to teach. And uh, I said whenever we were there before um, that uh, the word for overseer, pastor, and elder are synonymous terms in the New Testament. One place that we see that is in 1 Peter chapter 5, which I, I, we've already gone through 1 Peter here. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, it tells us, um, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Okay, He's talking to pastors there. And the term elder he uses to refer to pastor. He also uses the term shepherd. And shepherd is the idea that we get when we think of a pastor. It's someone who is, is taking, it's pastoral. It's, uh, when we think of the word pastoral, you, you might think of, uh, 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 I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think of, uh, uh, of, of a, a rural setting of, of, of a shepherd and, and sheep and things like that. Um, and then you, you have exercising oversight, and that's the verbal form of the, of the word that we have for overseers there in, the, in, the, in chapter 3. So all three of those terms are interchangeable. We saw uh, overseer being used in um, chapter 3, and here Paul uses the term elder, I think referring to pastors. And what he commands here is, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Now, some have suggested that in the church they have different kinds of elders. And you see this in Presbyterian circles. You have what they might call ruling elders, and then you have teaching elders. Um, because this text says, you know, um, those who rule well. Okay, uh, they, they might be considered as kind of a board. They'd still have to be qualified to teach, but they may not be the ones who are teaching. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think that every, I, I don't think there's a distinction between ruler at ruling elders and teaching elders. Every pastor of a church needs to be a part of the teaching ministry of a church. So I don't draw that distinction there. Instead, I think... Um, what he's getting at is a, a pastor who does his job well. 
A pastor or, or pastors of a church who are leading well, who are, are uh, um, doing their job faithfully, they deserve double honor. Okay, And then we, we get this word double honor. What does Paul mean by that? We think of honor oftentimes of just respect, right? And I think that, that maybe, uh, you know, he uses the word honor three times in three se- se- uh, successive passages here. We talked about honoring widows last week when we were here. Next week, we're going to see um, that... Uh, Slaves, bond servants, are to regard their own masters of worthy of all honor. Same word there. I don't think slaves are to pay their masters. But what does Paul mean whenever he's talking to Timothy and he says, a pastor, an elder, who leads well is deserving of double honor? I think he, he spells this out in the next verses. First of all, it's not just... He says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. A pastor's duty, there's not like pastors who do teach and pastors who don't. All pastors are called to teach. And that's why it's one of the qualifications. We have to be able to teach. Um, But here, he says, um, that that is the core of, I think, of of a pastor's duty. It's laboring and preaching and teaching. And that's why he's worthy of double honor. Um, And he backs this up with with an Old Testament scripture as well as a saying from Jesus' um, own mouth. He says, first of all, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Okay, that's an Old Testament passage. That's an Old Testament passage from Deuteronomy. And, and, and he, he says, well, it's in another place because he, he references this passage also in Corinthians, I believe. And whenever he says, do not muzzle an ox for, uh, while it's treading out the grain, that may be a strange picture to us. Okay, it may be a strange picture. Now we have tractors that do our grain treading, right? Uh, but, you know, we, everybody knows about that uh, that's in this room, I think. <laughs> um, but back in that day, they would have the ox that would come along, maybe pulling a wagon or whatever. And, and the, the idea was that ox, even that ox is, take, is, is laboring and you shouldn't muzzle the ox because uh, it's working for you. So it ought to be able to eat of the grain while it's moving through the field. You get the idea? Uh, It it would be wrong to muzzle the ox. And basically, Paul here is saying that the same principle applies for a pastor. Uh, A pastor is being compared to an ox. Not the most flattering thing, but still, uh, that's the picture. And so if a pastor is laboring in preaching and teaching the Bible, preaching and teaching the gospel, then he deserves to be able to partake of the fruits of his labor. Just like a farmer can partake of the fruits of his labor. Just like anybody in any occupation can partake of the fruits of their labor. Then he, he follows this up and he said, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox 
when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Any guesses on where that's found? The laborer deserves his wages. Any, any guesses on where that's found? It's not an Old Testament Scripture. But Paul says, the Scripture says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. It comes from both Luke and in Matthew. It comes in Luke and Matthew. And so what, one of the things I think that's helpful from this text, it may be kind of a side note from what, what, uh, um, from what the main point of this text is, but here Paul is recognizing Matthew and Luke, the Gospels, as Scripture, even though the, the Bible, the New Testament, isn't even finished being written yet. You've got some who will look at a saying like this and say, well, this had to be much later. It couldn't have been Paul. Because, because uh, uh, they didn't even have that as a standard Scripture at the time. But no, Paul, this, we, we ought to turn that on its head. Paul recognized that the Gospels were Scripture even in his own time. There was an early recognition in the church that the Gospels, as particularly here Matthew and Luke, were a part of the Scripture. And Paul here says... Um, that uh, it's Scripture that the laborer is worthy of his wages. Jesus said that. Je- these were on the words of Jesus whenever he, uh, he said this. Another passage I want to kind of briefly just uh, share with you. Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 14, Paul talks about the same concept here. In verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 9, it says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. This is Jesus' own words saying that those who proclaim the gospel should gain their living by the gospel. So, what am I going to do with this? I don't want to be one of those preachers saying, send me money on on the TV, right? No. How did Paul deal with this? Paul recognized that it was his right to earn his living by the gospel. And yet, he forfeited his right. Sometimes, he accepted, he accepted payment from the Macedonians so that he could work among the, um, the Corinthians without being a burden to the Corinthians. That's, that's, that's one thing he did. We know also that Paul was a tent maker. He was a bivocational pastor, like me. Um, so but Paul worked another job as well. What, what I think Paul is getting at is it, he's worthy of that. A, a, a pastor is worthy of that. A, a, if, the, if a church has the means to do it, not every church will. In fact, I would love if I could be full-time here. But that's just not reality in the current circumstances. Maybe one day that'll be different. I hope that one day that'll be different. But right now, I work another job so that I'm not a burden to the rest of the church. Mike and John can give me thanks for that. (laughs) Uh, But also, so that... uh, I can, I can continue to preach here without, um, in a way that wouldn't even be possible if I didn't work another job. Okay, 
So there, there's, there's the first part. Let the elders who rule well be worthy, considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, we come to another part. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is so relevant to our society today, isn't it? Because we hear all the time another pastor has fallen into some sin and he has to resign. And all of those things. We hear this all the time. And um, Paul here, it's it probably uh, was, was also um, common in that day. I think what Paul was protecting against was he did not want someone who disagreed with the pastor to, uh, to kind of derail that whole ministry and, and cause a problem. Instead, it had to be something that was witnessed by more than one person. And that goes along with the way that the law is given in Deuteronomy and in the Old Testament. In the, in the um, uh, Law of Moses... It said that if someone was uh, brought before the court, they had to have two or three witnesses as well. Paul brings the same standard that the Old Testament law of Moses had when it comes to bringing an accusation. And honestly, I, I actually think it's the same thing when it comes to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, when the passage we look at when it comes to church discipline, first you go to a person individually, But then you've got two or three witnesses. The first part of this is assuming that there's the possibility that there's going to be unfounded accusations. And and that is a possibility. But then Paul moves to the other side, maybe, where maybe there are accusations that are true. Maybe there are accusations that are true. Actually, let me back up just a minute here. Notice here, the, 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 this next verse says, um, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Now, when it says, those who persist in sin, I immediately jump to think that's pastors who are persisting in sin, Right? Uh, that's that's that that's the what I jump to. Um, that if if you're not to rebuke an elder unless there's two or three witnesses, but then if there is a pastor who is pers- persisting in sin, then you rebuke that person in the midst of everyone, so that all the rest of the pastors and everybody in the whole congregation will will uh, will fear. But there's another way of looking at it as well. And, and this is an old, old way of looking at it. Uh, uh, Chrysostom was, a, was, a, was an ancient early church preacher, and so was a, a man named Origen. And they both took the position that those who persisted in sin were those who were making the accusations that were unfounded. And, I, I, and honestly, both ways make sense. Both ways make sense. Um, it could be that someone who's making accusations are those who persist in sin... And Paul is telling Timothy, rebuke them in the presence of all so that no one else will make such unfounded accusations. Okay? That'd be a really convenient thing for a pastor to try to get around accountability. It's true, but oftentimes it could be also a way of avoiding accountability. So maybe that 
I think it's true, but it could be dangerous. On the other hand, a pastor who is guilty, who, who has sinned and, and, uh, and uh, um, it's something that is so serious that he has to be confronted about it, then Paul here is telling Timothy to rebuke them in the presence of all. Make this public. Make this open. Don't hide it in a corner. Which I think is also very relevant when it comes to our, our uh, convention today. You know, we think often maybe about the scandal in the Catholic Church. Priests abusing children. And they just cover it up and they move the priest to a different parish or whatever. And for many, many years, we could say, oh yeah, that's a Roman Catholic problem. But here within the last couple of years, there's been exposés and and showing that oftentimes we do the same thing in our Baptist churches. Where someone may abuse a child, molest a child, and because they don't want to make a big scandal throughout the community and mess up the boat for the church and have see all a bunch of people leave the church, they end up quietly firing the person and then they go and they find another church somewhere else where they do the same thing again. Here I think Paul tells us if a pastor is guilty of that kind of serious sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Make this open and public and if lawsuits come, let them come. Because it is not worth someone else being uh, abused or molested because a church didn't want to see a scandal and see everybody have to leave. We have to care for victims as well. Okay. Verse 21. Now Paul seems to turn to Timothy and give him a a very solemn charge. It's very solemn here. It says, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, uh, Christ Jesus and the elect angels. What's that talking about? Elect angels? Well, what we've seen before as we went through 1 Peter and Ephesians that believers are chosen by God. Okay? And we can kind of understand that. But what's this elect angels? Well, it's be the angels who haven't fallen. We know that that uh, that uh, there there were there have been angels who fell. And uh, and when we looked at First Peter, I I uh, I argued that whenever it talked about um, Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits now in prison, those were fallen angels that he uh, had gone to. Uh, to uh, basically do a victory speech and say, I've won, you're defeated. And um, here, it's talking about on the other side, it's those who have not fallen, those who God has uh, chosen to be ones who would not fall, the angels. So here, Paul is saying very solemnly, I charge you in the presence of God, and 
of Christ Jesus and even all the angels. To keep these rules without prejudicing, doing nothing from partiality. It can be tempting to be partial. If you see, say, particularly when it comes to a gifted pastor, I don't know um, if anybody kind of keeps up with uh, what's, what's uh, in social media or anything like that, or podcasts. Uh, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff. Recently, there's one that came out, maybe you've heard of it, called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, Rise and Fall of Mar- Mars Hill was a church up in Seattle, Washington. And uh, they had a very uh, a, a, a charismatic leader. He was conservative on the Bible. Uh, but he was young. And uh, I've been listening to this podcast, and it was a train wreck. And a big part of it was the fact that uh, the lead pastor avoided any kind of accountability or anything like that. And eventually the church... Um, well, they didn't fire him. He just he just resigned. But but there were so many dysfunctional things that were going on in this, and um, a lot of people just looked the other way because of how fruitful it was. They, they were getting thousands of people. They were seeing people baptized and all this kind of stuff. But the pastor didn't have the character that was necessary for being a pastor. He didn't have the maturity that was necessary for being a pastor. And what happened? Partiality. They let it go on. Because he was so gifted. And, and um, you know, in the same way, when, we, when we're talking about calling a leader, we don't want to call someone just because he's somebody that everybody, everybody likes. Everybody, he's, a, he's cool <laughs> or whatever. But because he's godly and because he's, um, he fits the qualifications for pastors. Paul continues there in verse 22. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. I think this kind of rings in the ear and reminds us of verse chapter three, where he says, "Don't, don't uh, a, a, a an overseer, a pastor should not be a new convert. But first, uh, like like it says about deacons, he must be tested. And and here, um, Paul he's saying, don't be hasty in laying on of hands." Don't call someone, I think laying on of hands, it's maybe shorthand for saying like ordaining or, or, uh, or calling someone as a leader. Don't be hasty in doing that. Watch a person's life. Because if we, if we ordain, if we, if we put our stamp of approval on a minister who is not godly, then we share in their sins. Verse uh, 23. Now here, this doesn't seem to fit. This doesn't seem to fit. Um, Here, Paul is kind of, I think, giving some concern for Timothy as, as someone he knows closely. He cares for Timothy. He considers Timothy like a son in the ministry to him. He says, 
no longer drink water, only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach, for your frequent ailments. Now, it seems to me, one of the problems in the church that Timothy was at was these false teachers were actually forbidding people to eat certain foods and to... I don't think Timothy's guilty of that. But also, something that was very, very common in the, in the ancient world was alcoholism. Drunkenness. And so maybe, uh, because it was such a difficult, uh, not a difficult, but such a widespread problem in the, wor- in the, in the uh, church where he was at, alcoholism, maybe he just became a teetotaler himself so that, uh, so that he wouldn't... Um, so that he would contrast himself with the, the, uh, the sin that was all around. And Paul here, that, that actually put Timothy in a dangerous position. Because one of the things you needed for safety in that time, safe drinking water. We take safe drinking water for granted today. But they, they use alcohol to make their water clean so that that uh, they could, um, could drink it without worrying about amoebas and, and uh, other kind of, of uh, infections that they could get in, in, in their water. Um, so I think Paul here is saying, you don't have to be so strict on yourself. You don't have to be so strict on yourself. Uh, instead, take proper medication. It may have been as a medicinal purpose. It may have been for, um, for, the, for the purification of his water. But for whatever reason, Paul uh, was telling Timothy, take care of yourself. Don't, I mean, maybe um, the stress of being a pastor was so much that he might have been getting ulcers. And, and so Paul needed to tell Timothy, go ahead. You don't have to refrain from that, but do what you need to take care of yourself. Finally, verse 24, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of other people appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot be remain hidden. I think this fits with what we talked about earlier about not being hasty about um, calling a pastor. You've got to watch their life. You've got to look at the way they live, the way they treat their family, the way they lead, the way they teach. You've got to look at all of that. Um, because not everything is apparent at first. You don't know that person when you first meet them or, or anything like that. But you've got to watch because sometimes down the road their sins become apparent. So that's, I think, part of the warning not to be hasty about calling a pastor. And on the other hand, so also are good works. Some, some are conspicuous. You see that? You see somebody who's out feeding the poor, um, sharing the gospel with their neighbors, all of these things, it's conspicuous. You see it. And then you have others. They work in the background. They prefer not to ever be seen. 
They, 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 they prefer that if they just serve, and they don't care if they're ever noticed. But even that person, one of these days, their good works, they can't even be hidden. And it's, it's you don't want to overlook someone like that for leadership in the church. They, they may not wear it on their sleeve. They may not do something out in the open. Um, story that I heard was there was a, a pastor who um, for years and years and years he would show up to the church and it's like the lawn never grew. He'd always be there and, and it's like the, the, it never got any taller. They didn't pay anybody to do it. He didn't know who was doing it until one day he, he realized somebody had been doing it all along and was like, this guy who's been doing it all this time, he's probably qualified for leadership. His sin, not his sins, his, uh, his good works, they were hidden for a while. They didn't appear until later. And so it is with someone who uh, is qualified for leadership sometimes. Now let's tie it together. Being a pastor is an awesome, weighty experience, uh, uh, responsibility. A person who's a pastor needs to fit biblical qualifications to be faithful, to focus on the Scriptures and not be some kind of abuser. And for the faithful pastor, um, Paul here says he deserves his reward. He deserves honor. Respect, yes, but deserves to make his living by the gospel. Now, how do I tie this together with the gospel? This is uh, again; these, these are these are regulations on how we do church. I don't want to. I don't want to close without tying it together in a bow and letting us see how it all fits together with what Jesus did for us. So here, here's, here, let me give it a shot. Like Paul, he knew that he had a right. He knew that he had a right to earn his living by the Gospel, and yet he laid it down. He laid it down so that he could be an example of Jesus. So that he didn't have to be a burden to those who he ministered to. And Jesus... Lay down his rights. Jesus didn't have to come to save us. Jesus, um, he could have demanded justice. He could have said, those people have sinned against my glory and against my name, and he could have let us all go to hell. We deserved it. And yet Jesus laid down his, his rights. Jesus came for sinners who did nothing but rebel against Him. And He gave His life so that we could have life. I guess that's how we can tie the Gospel in tonight. I hope it's not contrived. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.